Last week, church, we kicked off a new sermon series called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And we're looking at how to live more like Jesus Christ in our everyday lives, how to live uh, at a less hurried pace, less frantic pace, less crazy busy, and instead live with more joy, more peace, more of the abundant life that Jesus Christ offers us. And we're, we're, we're doing this series right now because we are in, in this kind of transitional season where the last year has been one thing and we're kind of thinking about what is next and moving into a new season. A lot of us have realized that, you know what, our life pre-pandemic wasn't necessarily the greatest or the best and maybe some things need to change. And maybe as we come out on the other side of this, we need to do things differently. And as we're kind of moving in this new season, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like now all of a sudden we are starting to talk to strangers again. Has anybody noticed this? That like after a year of, of, of social distancing, social isolation, all that kind of stuff, it's like you don't meet new many people, you're not having to have a lot of small talk with people, but now you have to have more and more small talk. And who in here hates small talk? Anybody in here hates small talk? Okay, a few of you do. A few of you do. I don't mind small talk. And you know how it is with small talk around here. It's like, you know, first you can comment on the weather. You know, the, how's the weather? You can say what's going on. In Henry County, the ultimate go-to small talk, traffic. Because there's always, there's always some traffic on 75 every day, every night, everywhere. So you can talk about traffic. But then there's that other go-to question a lot of us do, ask each other. And that is this. Well, what do you do? What do you do for a living? You ever use that one? What do you do for a living? I mean, it's, a, it's kind of an innocent question, but sometimes it can lead to interesting conversations. And so I want to invite you to think about how you answer that question when you're in a conversation with somebody new. When they say, hey, well, what do you do for a living? Maybe you say, I'm retired, unemployed, I'm a teacher, I'm a student, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a firefighter. You know, I don't know what your answer is or if you have like a really cool answer like, you know, I help the next generation actualize themselves. Maybe that's like Jason Brown, our student pastor's answer. I, you know, I don't like, you can kind of think of different answers. But, you know, as a pastor, I've told you this before, when people ask me that question, it's kind of like one, one of two things. So, you know, if I'm at the barber, we're talking, everybody's hanging out, and then they ask me what I do and I tell them I'm a pastor, sometimes it gets real quiet after that. <laughs> and it's like conversation killer. Everybody who is cussing now feels condemned just by me sitting there in the room and like nobody's talking about what they did last week. And that's kind of the one thing. Then on the other hand is it opens up a lot of conversations. Like a time I was at Target checking out of my groceries. This was years ago now. The guy's like, hey, how are you? Good. What you up to? Just shopping. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. He's like, wow, that's cool. It's like, Okay. He said, do you think I'm going to heaven or hell? I was like, uh, I'm like, uh, what time do you get off your shift? Like, I'd love to talk with you more about that. He's like, no, I'm good. Thanks. Have a great day. I was like, wait, what just happened here? I don't even know what just happened. Never seen the guy again in my life, but I guess he was just thinking about it that night. And it was going to be hard for me to answer with the long line behind me while he's scanning my Ben and Jerry's, okay? So, you know, sometimes it's an innocent question. It can lead to interesting conversations. And this question, what do you do or what do you do for a living is one I want us to think about together this morning because it is a question. I think that if we dive a little deeper into it, uh, 
it, it points to something significant in our culture. It points to something uh, that, that's deeply embedded in the values of our society today. And I actually think it connects with this conversation we're having about hurry. You see, I think one of the reasons we ask, you know, what do you do for a living? It's not just for, for small talk. It's also because... A lot of times when it comes to who someone is, when we want to know who someone is, we ask them what they do. Because in our culture, a lot of times we're told who we are is what we do. And on the flip side, like that guy at the checkout counter did to me and others, when we feel like we know what someone does, then we know who they are. And maybe you've kind of felt this, like you, you've heard the culture tell you, like, you are what you do. And, and a lot of times we don't, we don't really think much about this. It's just something kind of that, that, is, that is deep in our culture at a kind of su- subconscious level. But what happens when we begin to believe this, that people are what they do, is then, like, if, if things are productive at work, we're, we're, we're getting raises, we're getting promotions, we're, we're getting stuff done on the weekends, like, we, we feel like we have value and we have worth. But then on the flip side, if we're unemployed, if we feel like we're not as productive as we should be, we're, we're, we're kind of behind in our career, we're not accomplishing as much, we're not as good of a student, then we kind of feel bad about ourselves or we, we can end up feeling like failures, you see, in our culture today, so often, ultimately, our, our self-worth fluctuates with our work. Our self-worth often fluctuates with our work, what we're doing, what we're achieving, and what we're producing. And so what happens is when, when that's the case, when we've kind of internalized this cultural script, then it leads to a hurried life. It leads to a busy life because we think, you know what, we constantly have to be achieving. We constantly have to be working more. We constantly have to be producing. And so we add more and more stuff to our calendar. We cram our days full of different stuff so that we can feel good about ourselves. And ultimately what ends up happening is oftentimes we end up forsaking people we love, our family members, and even our relationship with God. It leads to a full calendar and a restless soul. And this, this way this works in our culture, this isn't something like new or unique to us. It's actually when we go, when we go in scripture and we can begin to look, look back, I mean, this is something we see happening even a long time ago. We see it happening to God's people even when they were in Egypt. You might remember the story that we find in the book of Exodus. God's people are enslaved in Egypt and, and Pharaoh and other Egyptians are ruling over them. They're lording over them and they are slaves and so constantly, day after day after day, they work, they produce, they have no break, they have no vacations, they have no day off. They are crazy busy. And in this culture, Pharaoh and these others said to them and treated them by this. They basically said, look, your worth is directly connected to your work. Because think about it, if you're a slave, if you work harder... You're stronger, you can do more, you can build more. Well, then you have more value in that society. But on the flip side, if you're older, if you're sick, if you're weaker, you just can't keep up like everybody else, then a lot of times what they would do is they would neglect these people, they would abandon them, they would discard them, they wouldn't care about them or treat them like 
humans because their worth was directly tied to their work. This is the culture God's people were living in. And thankfully, God heard their cries. He heard their cries and he raised up a leader, Moses, to lead them out of slavery, out of oppression, and into the land that God had promised them. And so just a few months after, I encourage you to read the story. If you're looking for something devotionally to read, the book of Exodus is a great place to start. After they, they, they go through the Red Sea, they have this miraculous escape from slavery. Just a few months later, they're at the base of Mount Sinai and God gives them the Ten Commandments, which are really God's way of living in this world. They're, 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 they're rules for life that, that lead to the abundant life that God desires for us. There are rules, there are guidelines that, that help move them, people towards a, a life of peace and not a life of hurriedness and crazy busy. And if you've ever looked at the, at the Ten Commandments, what's interesting is that the longest commandment is the one we're going to look at this morning, but it's one that's often neglected in our culture today. And it's really the one I want to look at this morning. And this is, this is the commandment that we find in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. God told these people, these newly freed slaves, he said this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Some translations say it's, it's a day set apart for the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. Continuing, we read this. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I want you to think about being one of God's people who just a few months before was in slavery, now hearing this command from God. For years, for generations, society and culture told you that your value is in what you can produce. Your value is in what you can produce. But now here, God with this commandment is saying to them, your worth doesn't come from your work. Your worth doesn't come from your work. Your worth comes from me, your creator. And so one day a week, as a reminder of that, I want you to stop. I want you to rest. I want you to worship me. What God was saying to them is he, he was saying, look, your value doesn't come from what you do, from what you produce and what you accomplish. Your value comes from me alone. I mean, this, this would have been ecstatic news for these newly free people. I mean, they, they didn't have a day off for generations. And now God is saying to them, one day a week, not only can you stop, but I want you to stop. And he roots this, if you look, in the pattern of creation. God says, look, this is what we see in Genesis in the beginning. You, you know this, God created the world in six days. And then on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. 
God, God is saying, look, this is what I did. This is the, the rhythm that is really built into creation. And now I want you to live with that same rhythm as well. He was offering them a gift. And what I want you to see this morning is that, that God, through the Sabbath, he's offering us that same gift. What, what he's saying to us through this command is that our worth doesn't come from our work. Our worth comes from him alone. It's a gift he wants us to accept if we're willing to receive it. And, and we see Jesus and his disciples, I mean, they, they lived out this same rhythm and pattern in their lives as well. Each week they, they took a day and they rested. I mean, Jesus, oftentimes we see him actually on the Sabbath getting into to conflict with the Pharisees and the religious leaders on the Sabbath. Because this is a long time after the Exodus. And by that point, God's people had put together all these different rules and regulations and categories of things you can do on the Sabbath, things you can't do on the Sabbath. And, and it had become like this, this like straitjacket of, of complicated rules and systems for them to obey. And so when Jesus was doing things like healing on the Sabbath, the religious leaders got really angry. And I don't know if you grew up in a household where like the Sabbath was observed religiously. Honestly, in our culture, that's very rare these days. But maybe you, growing up, you had like a lot of rules on a Sabbath. You know, it's like you, you couldn't play cards. You couldn't turn on the TV, but you can go to the store, but you can't do this and you can't do that. I mean, that's a lot of times how a lot of us imagine this commandment from God. Like it's this, like it's this straight jacket. But Jesus he reminds the people when, when he's walking this earth, when God himself, who is present at creation, Jesus Christ, is walking the earth, he says to them, he says, look, I want you to always remember this, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus says, I want you to remember the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And, and what he's letting them know is that the Sabbath was made for you. It was made for me. The Sabbath is meant to be a gift for us. And now this is where it gets kind of radical because so many of us, if we just surveyed you and said, hey, would you love to have one day a week to chill out and relax and rest and worship? I mean, how, do, how many of you would say, yeah, I definitely want that? <laughs> yeah, people are like, I want that. Somebody, somebody said, you know, it's like God commanding us to eat ice cream. All of us are like, yeah, we want that. And yet, and yet what's so interesting is God is saying, hey, one day a week I want you to do this. And yet it is still such a struggle. And it is still so rare for it to be a part of our lives. And after, you know, struggling to have this rhythm in my own life as a pastor for years, and serving churches where I, where I know it's been difficult for others as well, I, I think... The reason we don't live with this rhythm, we don't receive this gift that God wants to give us that will really help us lead a life with less hurry, I, I think is, it, it comes down to two big reasons. Number one is fear. And number two is really not knowing where to begin. And so when it comes to fear, I mean, you might not have ever thought of it this way, but for me, this is a lot of times why I haven't, I haven't taken a Sabbath in my life, lived with this rhythm that Jesus and God patterned for us. So a lot of times the, the, the thought is, you know what, if I, if I stop for a day, if I'm, if I'm not working, if I'm not doing stuff around the house, if I, if I just rest, like, you know what, things might fall apart. 
we have this sense that if it's, if it's up to be, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It's a lot of pressure we live with. So we think, you know what, if, if, I, don't, if I don't work like everybody else in my company is working, then I'm going to get behind and I'm not going to get the promotion. We think, you know what, if I say no to somebody or to, to some party or some obligation, then, then I'm going to be disappointing people. We have this, this fear that's running in the background. And I think some of us have a fear that actually, like we talked about last week, if we, if we slow down and we have some time of solitude and silence, or we have a day of rest each week, I think some of us are afraid of what we're going to discover. I think some of us are afraid of what we might find when we look deep at our hearts and in our lives and we're not sure we're ready to, to really face ourselves and so we just keep our lives crammed with stuff, keep our phones constantly buzzing in our pockets. But, but God here is inviting us to slow down. You see, you, taking a Sabbath requires a great deal of trust in God. It requires trusting God that, you know what, if you, if you stop for a day, things are going to be okay. Everything's not going to fall apart. It's trusting that God is going to provide for you. One of my friends said it this way. He said, you know what, Sabbath is really trusting that God can do more with the six days that you give him than seven days of you trying to do everything on your own. And as you begin to, to live with this rhythm in, in your life and you begin to surrender your fears and trust God, what you'll discover is, is that over time, it actually helps build your trust in God. Over time, you begin growing in trust. You begin seeing his faithfulness. You begin discovering that he is faithful and that this rhythm that he has given us leads to a less hurried life, not just on that one day a week that we slow down, but actually it begins to bleed into the six other days as well. So that's where fear comes into play. But then there's also, you know, a lot of us, we, we don't really know where to begin because either it was like crazy legalistic in our homes growing up or we've really never like heard about this at all. And so when it comes to beginning, I, I would say start simple. I would say start simple Start simple and do this. First, just identify a 24-hour block of time. Identify a 24-hour block of time. And now you might look at your calendar and you might think, you know what, I don't have, I, I don't have 24 hours coming up. You're already scheduled out. Or maybe, maybe you're retired and you're thinking, I got 24 hours every day. But I want you to identify a specific 24-hour block of time in an upcoming week and go ahead and put it on your calendar. Go ahead and mark it as Sabbath. And if you can't do 24 hours, just start with as many hours as you can. And now traditionally, in Judaism, Sabbath begins Friday at sundown and ends Saturday at sundown. Now in the early Christian tradition, what we find is, is the Christians beginning to, to shift the day of worship to the first day of the week, the day of resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and people have debated a lot over the years and, you know, you could get into it in a lot of different ways. But I say that because most of us really don't ever take a day off or a day of Sabbath, start somewhere. Start somewhere that works for you so that you can begin living with this rhythm that God has given us. For me, it's, it's fluctuated some of the years. You know, I work on Sundays, so it's a little different. And so for a long time, I tried doing Fridays, but on Fridays, I was always working on the sermon. So now I try to have my Sabbath on Mondays instead. 
Find what works for you and start there. And then the second thing on this day is enjoy, rest, and worship. Which is kind of funny that like that's a command, right? Like enjoy, rest, and worship. But that's what the Sabbath is about. I mean, we can easily get into this long thing. And sometimes people want like the pastor to just hand them a list of do's and don'ts. Like, hey, do these things, don't do these things. And, and you know, maybe that's helpful for you. You can create your own list. But I love what John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says. He says, look, when we look at the scriptural commands surrounding the Sabbath, it all comes down to two things, rest and worship. And so when you're thinking about what you want to do on this day, use those as filters. And if they don't fit into those two very broad categories, say, you know what, I'll do it another day of the week. And one nice thing about thinking of it in terms of rest and worship is you'll realize these are broad and actually it looks different for different people. It's going to look different if you're 65 than if you're 17. What rest means to you. And even worship, I mean, when it comes to worship, like if you're, if you're taking Sunday as your Sabbath day, yes, we want you to come to corporate worship. But on a Sabbath, like you don't have to go home and put on headphones and listen to Hillsong and Bethel music and like Gaither tunes all day, okay? That's not what we're talking about. You don't have to spend all day on your knees in prayer. Spend time in prayer. Spend time reading scripture. But ask yourself this question, what draws your heart to God? What draws your heart to God and I would say go and do those things as an act of worship. So for some of you, it might be going on a hike. Going on a hike is an act of worship. It might be gathering with friends and family and rejoicing in the good gifts that God has given you in your life. Sometimes I like to go and, and, and take photographs. It's an act of worship. Of saying, God, like, thank you for your creation. It's, it's so beautiful. It's so marvelous. It's a way I can slow down. And reflect. So spend time on your Sabbath worshiping. But then also the other big category is, is resting. And now what is rest for you might not be restful for somebody else. I don't know if y'all know anybody like this. Like I know people, the idea of rest for them is to wake up at 6 a.m., run seven miles, and then come back and do like an hour of Pilates and a yoga cool down and have a smoothie, Okay. Is that anybody in here? God bless you if it is, okay? That's not my idea of rest. My idea of rest is sleeping in. And then later in the day, taking a nap. And, you know, eating a big breakfast and, and not feeling like, okay, I have to like go be a bodybuilder today. But like for you, it might be very restful to go to the gym, right? What is rest for you is going to look different than what is rest for other people. I mean, some people... It's restful to be with friends and family. Other people, it's not restful to be with friends and family members. And, and, and so, you know, you'll have to figure out what that means for you. And so a question you can ask here when it comes to rest is, you know, what brings joy and life to your soul? What are those activities that, that when you're doing them, like you, you just feel at peace, at ease, and at rest? Maybe it's reading. Maybe it's just sitting, sitting in quiet. I don't know what it is for you. But on this day, focus on rest and on worship. And then the third thing is, I, I would say this, just adjust as needed. 
I just as need because, because most people don't have this rhythm in their lives. I know that. I acknowledge that. Like it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to figure out because the first day you try to do this, your boss is going to be like blowing up your cell phone or your kid's going to be sick and, and you're going to be like, you know what? That didn't really work. And the good news is you have another day next week. You have another day to try again. I know some people, they've realized over time that, that like their cell phone is a Sabbath killer. Because you have the whole world in your pocket screaming at you, yelling at you, inviting you to come fight with them. And so some people will put their cell phones in a drawer or put it on do not disturb on that day. Other people make modifications as they need. I would encourage you to do that as well. And and when you're trying to live out this rhythm of the Sabbath, I would say always remember that it is meant to be a gift. It's meant to be a gift that God has given to us. A gift that helps us experience his peace, his love, joy, and rest. And I'll close with this, but I love what one pastor, Pete Pete Scazzaro, says about the Sabbath. He said for years he, he struggled with finding this rhythm in his own life, but then over time, when he began living out the Sabbath, he discovered a fundamental truth of the gospel that was revealed to him every single week that he did it. And it was a a truth of the gospel that he began to display to other people. And that truth is this. I think we're going to have it on the screen here. Okay, maybe not. The truth is this. He says, I can do nothing productive And yet I'm utterly loved. That's what he said he discovered when he began slowing down and living with this rhythm. And that's my hope for you as well as you begin living out this practice is that you'll discover this, that you can do nothing productive. And yet you are utterly loved by God. The Sabbath every week is a reminder That our worth doesn't come from our work. Our worth comes from our creator alone. God doesn't love us because of what we accomplish, of what we do, of what school we get into, of what job we have, or anything like that. God loves us because of who he is. Every week, the Sabbath is a reminder that we can trust God, not just with our, our money, not just with our lives, but also with our time. And as you begin living this out, you will discover that he loves you and he is faithful. So let's pray together and ask God to reveal those things deep in our souls. God, we are, we are restless people. We are restless people and, and so often we, we fill every moment of our lives with stuff. Sometimes because we're seeking significance. Sometimes because we're afraid things are going to fall apart if we just stop. And so God, we pray this morning that you would remind us of that gospel truth that we are utterly loved by you, not because of what we've done, but because of who you are and what you've done for us. And God, we know that living with this rhythm isn't easy. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the strength, 
Give us the faith. Give us the trust to rest in your grace each week and to enjoy moments of worship and rest with you. We love you. We thank you for that love. And God, as we sing about it now, would you, would you help us experience the affection of your love as well? In Jesus Christ's holy name, we pray. Amen.